for anything to qualify as a megatrend theme for us, it has to have all three of those tailwinds, regulatory, societal, and economic. You know, that's really what allows us to ultimately identify a megatrend and really avoid a gimmick, being sort of laser focused on exactly those areas. The Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market clamor to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing truism attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short run and a weighing machine over the long term. In other words, emotion drives short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations drive returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, the economy is reopening, jobs numbers are up, and so possibly is inflation. What does that mean for the markets? We will also discuss the most significant trends shaping our future and when those megatrends become investment opportunities. That's with our guest, Jeffrey Spiegel, head of iShares Megatrends at BlackRock. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. Some volatility and some shifts that we're watching. Tell us more. Oh, it is an amazing time to be uh, an investment advisor or investment manager. There's just so much going on, so many headlines. In short, uh, something we've been talking about is the reopening of the economy, this, at least the service economy, um, and potential reflation that may, might be going along with that. And we're seeing it not only in economic data, but also in market data. When it comes to the economy, even today, we had really strong employment numbers, way above expectations. We've been seeing it in manufacturing data. Inflation is still a officially low, but underneath it, it's definitely starting to move higher. When it comes to the markets, the, those sectors that would do better in that environment of, uh, of the economy doing better, uh, inflation moving higher, th- those markets have been doing better as well. Everything from real assets such as commodities to smaller companies to more value-oriented companies, sectors such as energy and financials, they're all doing better as well. One other thing to point out, and this does lead into our conversation with our guest, is that kind of these big, large cap growth names, which really dominated the market in recent years, still great companies. However, they're starting to languish and starting to underperform. We've been seeing this for months. We've seen a recent acceleration of this a little bit more. So the question becomes, is tech dead? And I would argue it's 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 not dead, of course, uh, but maybe those really large names that have really dominated performance, they're just going to hand the baton off to you know more disruptive technology and some of the themes we'll be talking about later on today. Well, before we bring on our guest, I do want to talk a little bit more about jobs because the um, the report from February was really, as you said, above expectations. The economy added nearly 380,000 jobs. Um, so what do you think of the report and what are we watching for in the employment situation moving forward? Well, uh, we're obviously looking for more improvement because the Federal Reserve is really keying on additional improvement in the labor data. So it is crucial and arguably the most important data point when it comes to a Federal Reserve policy. Bottom line, though, things are getting better and they are getting better faster relative to expectations. As as we talk about on the podcast, the market is a weighing machine over time. You know, it's really about valuations of fundamentals. Shorter term, it's about you know narratives and emotions, but it's really about changes in expectations. And right now, things are just getting better, faster than people expect. And I think that's the stuff of why the market continues to move higher. 
Well, let's bring in our guest. Jeffrey Spiegel is head of iShares Megatrends and international ETFs at BlackRock. Jeff, welcome to The Weighing Machine. Awesome. Rusty Robin, thank you guys so much for having me. Okay, Jeff. So first of all, we want to know, of course, what you do at iShares and how you came in the investment industry. But first, the most important question, what would your walk-up song be now that you're on the weighing machine? What's, oh, the, wow. what's that song we can hear in the background right now? So Like a Rolling Stone is probably a little too on the nose, given I work at BlackRock. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I'll have to say I'm not like everybody else uh, by the kinks. Uh, and the Ooh. reason for that... Yep. I think everyone should try and embrace uh, authenticity, um, have the confidence to go their own way, be genuine every every day, uh, regardless of what the crowd is doing or, or which way the wind is blowing. Um, and that's uh, how I try to be. Nice. Oh, well said. All right. Okay. So now please tell us more about your background and your work at iShares. I agree with you. The first question was definitely the most important. Uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> absolutely. As to what I do at iShares. Um, I've been with BlackRock about eight years. Uh, I'm a director in our iShares division. As you mentioned, I look after our Megatrend and international ETFs, also sectors. Um, honestly, it's it's actually the best job I've ever had um, in a 15-year full-time career in finance. Um and actually longer still, uh, if you consider I started doing part-time work in the industry when I was 16 as an assistant margin clerk uh, at Bear Stearns. And the reason I say it's the best job I've ever had is that my team studies today's most exciting trends. Uh, we get to thoughtfully construct products to capture them, uh, and we tell their stories to investors of all shapes and sizes. One of the most um, interesting ETF strategies that iShares offers is megatrend ETFs. We've talked about these on the show before. These are the significant technological, demographic, and social trends that are really shaping our future. They include, let's see, technological breakthroughs, demographics and social change, rapid urbanization, climate change and resource scarcity, and emerging global wealth. There's a lot to unpack there, but for an overview, why should investors pay attention to these megatrends? So megatrends are fundamentally the, the long-term structural, really transformational forces that are shaping our economy and society. And that term structural is really key. Uh, so much of investing in themes or investing generally is cyclical. Uh, where timing is really the game. With structural opportunities, they're built for the long term uh, around the most durable themes, megatrend themes, uh, and the way BlackRock thinks about it, the ones that feel seemingly inevitable. And they're easy to identify. We, we can really see and feel them all around us. You know, you listed the five, the five big megatrends, and at iShares, we offer a line of ETFs that are tied to them. You know, that ranges from robotics to genomics to clean energy and, and even self-driving cars. And these strategies are built to capture theme beta, um, which is a really important concept for us. And what that refers to is a broad range of firms across a value chain or ecosystem for each theme. So across sectors and geographies. So not just the name you might think of first, you know, like Tesla uh, for EV, which is always the first name that comes to mind, but also the enablers of electric vehicles, battery providers, charging infrastructure builders, and the broad beneficiaries of the theme. And you know, we go further, we weight these themes. So you're getting access to small and mid cap leaders of tomorrow, not just concentrated exposure to a few names that that present idiosyncratic risk. So this theme beta idea is important so that the performance of the ETF is dependent on the theme itself, not just one stock, not just one industry, and certainly not just the fang names. Okay, so I have a whole list of questions in front of me, and I just thought of a new one here. So Robin doesn't even know this one coming. So of these five megatrends, which one's your favorite? Can you even say? 
it's like kind of saying when your favorite child is, I, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I think everyone else says technology. That, that's the one people are, are super focused on. Personally, demographics and social change uh, is a really big one for me. Because when I think about the, the truly inevitable forces out there, something like aging populations really, really does feel inevitable. In the next 10 years, it'll be more grandparents than grandchildren uh, for the first time in history. And that's very unlikely uh, not to happen. Um, we are heading there demographically. Some people say demographics is destiny. And if that's the tailwind behind our demographic themes, like genomics and immunology, like virtual work and life, I think that's a really powerful catalyst. Yeah. You know, another thing that kind of blows my mind is kind of the some of the numbers you hear on the, the in the future, the reduced dependence on cars in the United States. And Americans are already driving like 500 miles less per year on average than they were 20 years ago. And only 70% of 19-year-olds have driver's licenses today, which is a huge drop. And research is suggesting car sales could drop more than 40% over the next two decades. I mean, this is a really significant trend, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. Um, and when you think about what's going to happen in a, in a self-driving future, think about how much time our cars spend sitting in garages and driveways. You know, once you have autonomous vehicles that are essentially in motion all the time, they take you to commute to work, they take me to commute to work, um, and they're just moving all day. Frankly, you need a lot fewer cars at that point. And then to the demographic shift, you're talking about that that preference of a younger generation to be part of less of an ownership culture. I do think you're going to see that decrease. But so when we focus on that, for example, in our megatrends, like our iDrive, self-driving electric vehicle ETF. We really want to focus on those companies that are going to continue to grow their ability to manufacture cars, the ones who will be the winners in electric vehicles, the winners in self-driving cars, even though the total automobile industry may be producing less. Have either of you been in a self-driving car yet? I think it would freak me out personally. No. I haven't done it yet. I haven't. Yeah, I think it would freak me out too, but it's kind of exciting. The the closest I've gotten is uh, a Tesla with sort of like the full autopilot uh, capability set. I, I drove it up the West Side Highway. I didn't drive it. It drove me uh, up the West Side <laughs> Highway uh, in Manhattan. And you know what? Like I thought I was going to be all freaked out. After like three minutes, I was chatting with people. I was taking my hands off the steering wheel. I was shocked how comfortable I was with it um, and how quickly. Wow. Mind-blowing. Yeah. Well, Jeff, are there other trends out there that you're watching? And sub-question, when does a megatrend become an investment opportunity? So a megatrend becomes an investment opportunity when it's investable. So when we sort of back up for a second, um, you know, the themes that we're talking about and the megatrends we're discussing, they're relatable, right? They're on the tip of our tongues. They're on the front of the newspaper. They're intuitive uh, to what we were just discussing. Will there be more self-driving cars on the road 10 years from now than there are today? The answer to that seems pretty distinctly yes. But you know, in terms of, of new themes, it's not that we can't identify exciting new themes. Space, um, I actually think, is a great example. It's when does that theme become investable? So for example, we keep a pipeline of, of 20 to 50 themes that we'd love to see built into ETFs. But you know, the commitment at BlackRock and at iShares is not to do that until there are enough public securities that can give pure play exposure to that theme that we can deliver that exciting concept, again, theme beta, to an area like space. Wow, 20 to 50 more ideas percolating. Gosh, I'd love to see that list. That's why I said I love my job, Rusty. <laughs> exactly. So a question that came up in one of our research meetings here, somebody was talking, The um, you know businesses are becoming increasingly interconnected. 
And particularly with a trend-driven portfolio model, does this interconnection create more risk if one business goes under? You know, if so, how do you account for and uh, quantify that risk? Um, so I, I think it does. Um, and I think you've also seen tremendous concentration in traditional benchmarks in a number of those companies. We talked about the FANGs, that if there was an issue with them, it would really be an issue for investor portfolios, given the percentage, but also for the the many companies that, that are a part of their supply chain. So for us, focus on that, and I, I mentioned this earlier, when we're thinking about megatrend ETFs, is not to be concentrated in a few mega cap names, but to instead wait uh, thoughtfully wait our portfolios, look for those small and mid-cap innovators that can really be the leaders of tomorrow and position them in the portfolio, again, to deliver that theme beta. So you're not taking the risk of any one particular company being a challenge uh, as long as the theme continues to grow. Well, Jeff, thematic ETFs in general have seen tremendous growth in the last few years. How do you counter arguments that they are trends in themselves, fads that are eventually going to die out? So um, the growth of thematic investing really can't be understated. So just to underscore your starting point there, the the category has actually grown at 50% a year on average for the last five years through 2019. That's pretty good. But this year, uh, it's accelerated further. It's actually doubled, 100% growth, um, and the year's not even out yet. As to the issue of fads versus trends, again, to back up for a second to what I was saying about theme investing, some of it is cyclical or faddish, and that's okay. That doesn't mean performance can't be generated um, in cyclical opportunities. Again, it just means timing becomes critical, and it means the case isn't driven by these long-term shifts, uh, particularly in regulatory, societal, and economic or technological forces. For anything to qualify as a megatrend theme for us, it has to have all three of those tailwinds, regulatory, societal, and economic. You know, that's really what allows us to ultimately identify a megatrend and really avoid a gimmick, being sort of laser-focused on exactly those areas. You know, the cynic in me on this question you had, Robin, and the cynic in me says, you know, the thematic ETFs have become so popular because it's just a story, you know, and people want to fall for the story or people are chasing performance. But, you know, the more you really dig into it, you know, a lot of these thematic uh, ETF ideas and these strategies, they actually – they make intuitive sense. And as Jeff was talking about too, I mean, some of the conventional classifications, the way people look at the markets, they almost feel like they're – old-fashioned already. You know, some of these sector classifications, there, there's so much that goes underneath that that some of these thematic ETFs are actually giving you a, a pure exposure. The other thing which I find really interesting from an investment standpoint about a lot of these thematic uh, strategies is that maybe on a standalone basis, they could have probably higher volatility in the overall market, but they're, they actually provide a diversification benefit because they a lot of them have like lower correlations to the market. They're, they're zigging and when the other stuff is zagging sort of stuff. So you can actually implement them into a portfolio. It can actually reduce overall portfolio risk. So, you know, I've actually become a believer in thematic ETFs myself. Anyway, I'm sorry to digress. This is really, we're interviewing Jeff, not me. So, <laughs> hey, on the uh, topic of trends, you know, I just want to actually kind of move away from megatrends a little bit, but just kind of talk about the industry. And Jeff, what trends do you think right now are the most important? And also, if you could, which trends do you think in the industry are overrated? So I think one of the most important trends in the industry is the shift towards fee-based advisory, right? So increasingly, we're seeing uh, advice given for a flat fee 
in a portfolio. And so actually where I think megatrends plays into that really directly as that shift happens is so many financial advisors who are now fee-based have focused on index ETFs. Um, It's really driven uh, a lot of the growth at iShares. And as they've done that, portfolios in many ways have become more homogenous, right? Because they're not picking uh, amongst the the sort of very large universe of active mutual funds. And to the extent they are, it's complemented by iShares index ETFs. And so I think what that means is megatrends provide a way to differentiate portfolios, to continue that growth of indexing, and really to make portfolios more future-looking on behalf of the client to justify a part of that advisory fee. I think in terms of overrated trends, you know, robo advice or digital advice, um, I think potentially falls into that category. Not that you know the capabilities there aren't aren't amazing, that they don't add value for investors. They certainly do, but I think at the end of the day, um, most folks want to be able to talk to somebody. They want to be able to talk to somebody who knows their needs, who understands their financial situation, who's bought a house themselves and can help uh, talk them through that process and what it means for their portfolio. And so I think this um, rise of the robo-advisor in replacement for the traditional financial advisor is probably not right. Um, I think actually what you see is the rise of the financial advisor only strengthened by the ability to use more digital tools and therefore focus even more on servicing the client and, and working directly with them. I totally agree. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people at first think technology is just going to reduce human interaction, but you're absolutely right. It actually allows, you know, deeper conversations and more connections, um, which is obviously great for, it's a win-win for all people. Next question I have, again, it's one of those really important ones. Do you have any recommendations, book recommendations for advisors and investors, including newbie investors? Does it have to be for advisors and investors? Because, you know, I'm actually about to start reading Slimed, which is about sort of the iconoclasts and the innovators who developed Nickelodeon's early TV lineup. So, you know, like I'm 36. This is really what I what I grew up on. And I actually don't think people appreciate like how subversive that stuff was. Clarissa explains it all, Pete and Pete. When it comes to investing uh, or for the newbie investor, I'm not sure Slimed is going to help that much. Um, <laughs> hey, it could. But entrepreneurs, right? It, innovators. it totally could. It, it totally could. If you're thinking about megatrends, look at what these guys were doing uh, in the early 90s. Um, but for the newbie investor, um, you know, I don't know if I'd actually recommend a finance book. What I think is a really neat read for, for early investors is something called uh, The Signal and the Noise by Nate Silver, which really helps you understand how to distinguish meaningful data from not meaningful data. And I think to approach all data that you hear or receive with skepticism, which is super key to investing. Well, hey, Jeff, it's been really great to have you on the show today. Those are great recommendations. Uh, Where can listeners learn more about you and iShares Megatrends? Uh, I'd encourage listeners to check out iShares.com slash Megatrends, as well as iShares.com slash Insights, uh, where we offer a range of content around Megatrends, which we discussed today. Uh, And I should note on our Insights page, you should stay tuned uh, for an awesome piece we're excited to release in the very near future, shortly, uh, from one Mr. Rusty Veneman. Oh, I might even read that one. This is great. <laughs> I do have to put in a plug for the iShares materials are really outstanding. So you guys have always done a really nice job of putting out good educational content that's very clear and concise. Thank you. Again, Jeff, thanks so much for having or for coming on to the show today. It's been really great to have you. That's going to do it for this week. Rusty, final words? Well, first of all, thanks to Jeff for being on the show. Some very thoughtful responses there. Definitely appreciate them. And for everybody else, stay balanced and stay the course. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine, and thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. 
The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Officer at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com.